Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. This is the London is Blue podcast. Your home for the champions of England. Bringing all Chelsea fans together here, near, and far. Hosted by Dan, Nick, and Brandon. We are back, Chelsea fans, with another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Presented by WorldSoccerShop.com. Joining me on this fine Labor Day is Nick. Dan, unfortunately, is not able to join us, but he is enjoying some travel before he starts his new job. Totally understandable, right, Nick? Absolutely. Uh, Dan's been Dan's been with us from the start, so we can give him a week off. No, it will be good to have him back once the Premier League returns as well. So at least he timed that well, right? Like it's an off weekend, so, you know, a little less going on. Um, you know, since it is the international break, we brought on one of the finest minds in Chelsea's business dealings. Probably go ahead and expand that out to a little bit more of all of Europe, right, Jake? Maybe even the world. Is that what you cover now? I mean, you said it, I did. That's about as nice of an introduction um, as it gets, however um, hyperbolic it is. But, you know, thank you very much for having me. Um, you know, it's always great to chat with you guys. No, absolutely. And uh, just to clarify, this is Jake Cohen. You know, he's going to be around to chat with us, talk a, bit, a little bit about the business model Chelsea's adopting, talk a little bit about the transfer window and just kind of, you know, everything else Chelsea as it comes and goes. Because as always, we have a ton of questions from you all on social media. So again, welcome, Jake. We got a tweet about you as well 
from Pharaohs. Everyone knows Pharaohs at Pharaoh 17 says the most important question. When is Logan going to make his debut for Chelsea, Jake? Um, I, yeah, I mean, for context, I think uh, for just talking about uh, my 18 year old nephew. Um, so hopefully sooner rather than later, you know, um, he's working um, hard on training every day. Just moved up to Colorado for that high altitude training. Um, so yeah, <laughs> he, he's, you know, he's, he's ready, same fit. Uh, so yeah, as soon as Antonio Conte um, needs him, like, you'll be ready for sure. You got him a tiny little kid as well, right? So he's all he's all maxed out. He's got several little kids. In fact, uh, I think he's just get about every single um, Chelsea branded apparel item possible um, that you can get uh, for a little baby. <laughs> well, that is awesome. Obviously, if you want to see some more awesomely cute, adorable nephews, uh, follow Jake on Instagram because it is great. Uh, in absence of Dan, we did get some iTunes reviews, so we'll go ahead and rattle some of these off, which are pretty exciting. I haven't done them in a while, so I'll go ahead and take a shot at it. Um, five-star review from Spartan Exter. I'm not going to sure how you have that. Uh, we got another one from... You guys, aren't even, you guys aren't even using words. LDFXI, so whoever that was. Um, Par95 with another five-star review. And Juan AIV, guys dropping them. Nick, we did have a few more in there as well. Um, crazy that we got one from Sweden and more and more and more. So I guess if you guys want to shout out on the podcast, as always, right at the beginning, drop us a five-star review or hit us up on our Patreon account. One of the cool perks is we'll handwrite you a postcard saying thank you if you do. So with that being said, Nick, we are going to do a real quick break from World Soccer Shop and we're jumping into the transfer window review in Chelsea business. Here we go. Hey guys, quick note from World Soccer Shop. If you are in the market for, uh, you know, a, a new kit, perhaps with a Marata on the back or Danny Drinkwater, if you're of that persuasion, uh, head on over to worldsoccershop.com. Really easy to customize your kit with the uh, the player of your choice um, and a, a really solid site experience. So uh, help us out. Use a referral link. Uh, it's posted on all of our social media channels and uh, we'll see you on the flip. All right. Well, it is time to chat business with Jake. So Jake, since you've worked with transfer uh, you know, in, in essentially getting them from start to finish. Do you just want to give us a quick run through? I know you've done this video um, with one of the, the papers over in London. But again, what does the process kind of look like? And what are the kind of different parts that goes into a player going from one club to another? Sure. Well, I think the first thing to note is that in any transfer negotiation, there's typically three ongoing negotiations um, with different criteria and different interests. So the first negotiation is going to be between the buying club and the selling club over the transfer fee. And then the second negotiation will be between the buying club and the player's agent regarding the player's personal terms. And then they'll be a third negotiation between the buying and or the selling club and the player's agent regarding the agent fees or the intermediaries commission. Um, so the first thing to note that there are several concurrent negotiations going on at the same time. Um, 
with regards to transfers, it's not just the basic fee. There could be add-ons, buybacks, um, all of that will have to be negotiated. And from the legal perspective, all of these clauses have to be um, drafted um, in a very specific way in order to ensure their validity. Um, the same goes for the contract negotiation. So it's not only the players' basic ways, there could be bonuses based on both personal and team success. Um, there'll be a separate image right still for a number of these high-profile players, um, which is another set of complexities. In fact, we had one deal um, we were working on even earlier summer, even prior to the transfer window, so it could be announced um, as soon as the transfer window began. That was actually delayed because of um, an image rights issue. Um, so it's just a very complex tax issue that you know needed expert tax advice um, before that could get sorted, and that you know the transfer could um, eventually go through. So there are a number of issues, um, but I think it is important to know it may not be something that people keep in mind during the transfer season is that there are several ongoing negotiations and all of these negotiations need to reach um, a mutually agreeable end um, in order for a transfer to actually go through. So really quick, Jake, how how long can some of these deals take? Because I feel like, you know, even myself, you know, you start to hear kind of the rumblings of a, a potential transfer, even if it's, you know, a guy like Alvaro Morata. But you know, how long can can some of that stuff take? Are there are there quicker deals than others? You know, if the clubs are pretty agreeable together or, or kind of give me some insight into that. Yeah, I think you just said it. You know, every deal is different. Um, some deals can take you know, a matter of days. In fact, uh, FIFA TMS, um, this was a little bit of a different situation. But um, in terms of the actual transfer being processed after everything was agreed, uh, FIFA TMS said that the quickest transfer they had last summer was 13 minutes. So if everyone's on the same page, like it can take no time at all. But um, it's very rarely that all parties are on the same page from the outset. And that's what leads to deals taking time. So we saw, um, you know, Manchester City announcing it's uh, transfer uh, when it bought uh, Bernardo Silva um, in May. I think it was actually prior to the Chelsea-Arsenal FA Cup final. So the season was still ongoing, and that deal um, you know, was already done and would have been um, fully processed um, for the 1st of July. Um, so you know, those deals can happen even you know, months almost prior to uh, the transfer in the beginning, and then obviously with the rush of deadline day deals, um, you know, it can take a while. You know, sometimes you need to see dominoes fall, for example. So if um, Chelsea wants to acquire a player from, say, Torino, uh, that then Torino, of course, is going to need to have that replacement lined up. And, you know, Torino, unfortunately, was able to line up that replacement, which allowed Chelsea to, um, you know, sign uh, Zappacosta, um, you know, hours before um, the window concluded. So, yeah, I mean, there's just so many variables, so many factors. And, you know, I, I think you said it perfectly. You know, every deal is different. And, um, you know, each deal has its own unique set of complexities um, that will need to be surmounted, um, you know, before a deal can be completed. One question I have is, does it matter what part gets negotiated first? Because it sounds like we've heard where players will agree personal terms with the club who wants to sign them, but the two clubs won't actually agree on a fee or their own terms. It's a, it's a tricky situation, and in fact, um, it's led to allegations of tapping up, as we just saw with uh, Liverpool and Southampton over uh, the, the potential um, and ultimately uh, non-existent uh, transfer of Virgil van Dijk. So um, a, the 
buying club is not allowed to talk to one of their transfer targets unless the selling club first agrees to that. And in reality, a selling club is not going to agree to let one of their rivals or another club talk to one of their players until at least the very basic and key um, terms of a transfer are already agreed, at least in principle. So, no, the, the first... Um, step is always the club to club negotiations. Of course, you know, we do see intermediaries um, and other third parties um, that are not connected to um, the would be buying club um, send, you know, general inquiries. So, um, you know, we'll see situations where people close to the player, for example, will talk to people close to the club and saying, listen, um, you know, is this player available would he be interested in our club and then you know if they get um, a positive response then that club will know okay now we can go to um the um the selling club to start to agree to a transfer but that's a very tricky situation and it has to be done properly to ensure that all the rules um as it relates to tapping up um are complied with or you know we can see problems happen you know as we've seen um you know several times you know this summer alone Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. Well, let's go ahead and talk about Chelsea's summer business. Nick, uh, run us through who all came in. So the final tally, uh, we had, of course, the uh, wonderful Spanish striker Alvaro Morata. Uh, We had the uh, tank of a midfielder, Timoine Bakayoko. Danny Drinkwater came in on transfer deadline day as, as kind of our fourth midfielder to round it out. Uh, Antonio Rudiger, been a rock at the back, um, can play anywhere along the three in the back. Uh, and then finally, Brandon, goalkeepers union, Willie Caballero comes in from a, from City for free. Uh, Jake, I kind of look at this, and this is a kind of a fun mix. You have Spain, you have Ligue 1, you have some English players, and then you have the Serie A. It's kind of a nice mix of players from around Europe this summer. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, it definitely shows, um, you know, Chelsea really looking globally, um, you know, to find uh, players of goals of nationality that can come in and help them win trophies. We'll find out pretty quick if that previous Premier League experience really is required uh, or not. On the outside, these are only permanent transfers out. If you want to go see the loan list, check out CFC Youth and Carefree Youth. They've <laughs> got it figured out. Um, Nemanja Matic obviously went to United. Ake to Bournemouth. Quadrado finally sealing that two-year loan move to Juventus. Uh, Begovic left on a free to Bournemouth. Bertrand Traore to Lyon. Krishnatsu went to Newcastle. Chalaba to Watford. And Loic Remy also sealing a final transfer day to Las Palmas. And I think he went on like the Spanish last day as well. Yeah, I believe that's correct. Um, And I I believe that Chelsea... Uh, terminated his contract. Well, that was the report anyway. So I think that uh, essentially the club was looking uh, for a partner to um, make a you know a transfer with, and essentially couldn't really get anything across the line. At least this is what the report is saying until they terminated his contract, essentially kind of making him a free agent. Um, and so then he moved to Las Palmas, and best of luck to Loic Remy. All right. Well, last since the last time we checked in after the Everton match, there was a flurry of transfer speculations as Chelsea aimed to close up the window on a high. So let's go ahead and kick it off with our 
first of two deadline day signings, Davide Zapocosta. Uh, we're getting blown up from Instagram right away and see Shuffle saying, short and simple for me, who the hell is Zapacosta? I mean, Nick, you went ahead and dug in a little bit, right? You're heading over to Squawka. I did. What'd you, what'd you find? Yeah, our, our, our friends at Squawka have been tremendous throughout this entire window, kind of providing... Um, some actual stats to back up the hype of, of all these of all these players that came and went. So uh, Zappa Costa is essentially a right back or a right wing back. Um, that's where he's played for Torino. He does have flexibility to play on the left, although that wouldn't be his preferred position. Um, so I, I did a, you know, Squawka did a comparison on deadline day, just looking at some, you know, important statistics as it would pertain to, you know, a right wing back, uh, comparing him to Victor Moses and Brandon, they are very similar types of players in terms of output. You could see, uh, why Antonio Conte would be, uh, would value Zappacosta, you know, especially looking at how, uh, how Victor Moses compares, right? Yeah, I think the difference is that Zabacosta is a bit more of a traditional defender. Moses was an attacker turned defender. So you're going to get two different looks from him. But from a stats point, uh, Zabacosta had pretty much the same numbers with Torino that Moses had last season with Chelsea. So uh, it, it sounds like it'll be good competition. I did watch one of the um, the Scout Nation videos on Zabacosta. This dude runs forever which obviously Conte will like, and he, he he loves to cross. And he's also really good at the early cross, kind of what Aspie has found Morata right. on both of his head of goals. And he loves getting to the end line and then smashing it across the goal as well. So um, from what we can see, I think that he'll fit in in that kind of a system. But obviously, look, only time will tell. Uh, definitely isn't like an out and out improvement definitely someone that's going to create competition and maybe even provide a little bit different of a look especially when you're going into champions league and matches are a little bit tighter you're not as expansive when you're on the road maybe that's where he will come in and kind of fit that role at least that's what i'm thinking yeah i mean and you look at the stats i mean tackles won victor moses barely edges him out tackles lost victor moses barely edges him out interceptions barely edges him out and then when you get to clearances and blocks zapacosta is uh, ahead in both of those categories so i mean yeah i think you're right i think this is a player that will provide excellent depth uh, a player that wasn't really mooted or, or really talked about until maybe a day or two before the window shut so um might have been kind of a last a last flurry or a last look at a guy um you know as the window was closing but overall i think we have to be happy to at least have some depth so obviously a lot of people heard about Danny Drinkwater much more in advance, Jake. But with the Zappa Costa deal, uh, you know, same with Marco Solanzo last season. Is this just kind of a maybe a reality check for us fans that we don't always know exactly what's going on at the club and that maybe our analysis from our computer isn't exactly what Chelsea are looking at, that, you know, they are active. They are looking everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a very fair statement. Um, you know, there's really no incentive for a club to publish lists of their transfer targets or, um, you know, come out and say exactly who they're targeting because that just puts them at a competitive disadvantage because it puts um, both the would-be selling club on notice that Chelsea wants them, which can only um, make negotiations difficult, especially if Chelsea's already pu- publicized it. And then, you know, um, 
it tips their hand to their rivals. So, you know, yeah, that just leaves um, room for a lot of speculation from fans and from the media. Um, like, personally, I've never seen uh, Zappa Costa play, um, you know, even one minute of football, but, you know, with seven games coming up in the next three weeks, so, you know, I really think, you know, we'll um, you know, we'll get a chance to uh, see what he does and see how he fits into uh, Antonio Conte's system. No, absolutely. It's kind of funny you're talking about that. So that, that made me think, Jake, do you know who did list out their transfer targets out in the public this this uh, summer? In terms of uh, like a, a football club, I I couldn't say, but like it, it would not be a smart move. Um, I know uh, Machu Rodriguez at Roma, he talked about um, really candidly, in fact, um, which is um, – sort of unique to both Roma and to Monty Rodriguez. Um, he talked after the fact where he was answering some very pointed questions from fans about their transfer strategy. Of course, this was after the fact, um, but I remember seeing that and thought that was kind of unique in football. Um, so, yeah, I, I just, given that so, most football clubs are run by smart people, uh, I mean, that it's uh, not a very smart thing to do to tip your hand to your rivals. Like, I, I do not see any benefit in um, informing or briefing fans or media about um, transfer targets or transfer strategy, especially while, um, you know, these deals in this window um, is ongoing and open. So Laurent Blanc named Neymar... Like, I don't know, he named like five players essentially that they were going after and they ended up landing Neymar, but they paid every single penny that they had to. And then even Barcelona named Coutinho and Dembele uh, this summer. I just thought that was interesting, like especially when we had the Liverpool Southampton tapping up case, like you said. Uh, And then also if you say, hey, I kind of arrogantly go after another team's players to me is like the club who owns the contract that player. I'm only driving my price up like I'm I'm right on the same page with you. So uh, as you're mentioning, I do think that there's a lot of, you know, advantages to not, uh, you know, kind of talking about players out in public. But obviously, Nick, the next one is Danny Drinkwater. Uh, Man, talk about a last minute signing. Uh, I don't know if that is an extension for this or not, but I mean, we used every moment in the transfer window that was available. Right. I mean, this was one that was in the press, um, you know, either rightly or wrongly for a really long time. And it, it seemed like it went all the way to the 11th hour, literally um, before an announcement was made. Um, there was a lot of a lot of speculation whether Chelsea would be able to get all the paperwork kind of finalized in time to, to make the transfer happen. But, you know, Danny Drinkwater is a very serviceable midfielder. Um, certainly not. You know, I, I wouldn't call him world class by any means, but certainly uh, for the Premier League, a very experienced, tough um, midfielder. I think he brings a different skill set to our midfield um, and is certainly, uh, you know, replacing Shaloba in that um in that kind of fourth role. Um, I think he does provide a little bit more uh, of a look ahead, um, you know, in terms of passing than uh, perhaps Bakayoko even does. So I think there's something there. Uh, I think he's kind of like the hybrid between Sesk and Bakayoko. Um, although I don't think he has Bakayoko's stamina. So um, yeah, I mean, it, look, we need, we needed warm bodies. I think that he is a, uh, he's going to prove his worth over the the long haul of the season. Like Jake just mentioned, there's seven games in the next couple of weeks. So I'm sure we're going to get to see him in short order. And, you know, look, I mean, we have to we have to hope that he is every bit as good as his transfer fee uh, recommends he is. Right, Jake? 
Yeah, yeah, it'd be really interesting to um, see him play. You know, like you said, you know, definitely have the opportunity um, to play. I, I imagine uh, quite a bit, just you know, for uh, you know, depth and rotational needs, just to keep everybody fresh over these next three weeks. I know he's coming in with a, at least recovering from a bit of an injury, but you know, he should slot right in. He literally played next to Angola Conte for an entire season. Uh, he's had only great things to say about Angolo and wants to continue that partnership, obviously. Um, again, you know, these two deadline day signings, I would say, are, you know, to build out the squad, create competition. We needed depth. We got some depth, uh, and that was important. All right. First question, Nick. There's been a lot of frustration with the transfers in and out this summer. While there have been quality additions made in the form of Murata, Rudiger, Bakayoko, uh, you can even throw in drink water, um, yeah. all whom have Champions League experience. Thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the club also appeared to miss out on of you know a few of their first choice targets. Big one, obviously, Alexandro. That was quite a bit more public. Juventus saying they are rejecting ch- offers from Chelsea. Uh, Toliso, which is a big uh, Joe Tweeds one. Virgil van Dijk and maybe a few others. I know we've got the brief Chelsea graphic here. Uh, that, you know, kind of listed out what they thought were potential first team targets that we missed out on. Yeah, uh, I mean, look, I know that Jake has, you know, where, where Jake and I are going to square off a bit here is, you know, I'm definitely coming coming to this from the kind of fan perspective. And I think I think fans in general have a lot to be happy about with the transfer window. Um, and, and that's, you know not me going back on anything that I've said in previous shows. I think that we have made quality additions and you can only look to Murata's two goals and two assists in his first three, three matches to, you know, kind of dissuade some of your fears. But I also think that where I was most frustrated with the window is that we sold and or loaned a a large amount of players um, this, this summer. And I don't feel like um, in, in general terms that we have, quite the squad depth that I was hoping for. Um, and, you know, knowing that we had some, some younger players go out on loan that possibly could have filled those roles even too, instead of acquiring new talent. I think there, I think fans do you know, have a reason to be frustrated. Um, you know, it seemed, it seemed to me like the club waited an awful long time, uh, especially basically going, you know, the entire month of August, uh, kind of waiting till, till the final transfer deadline day. And that just personally drives me nuts. Um, you know, and, and that's just one guy talking on a podcast, but, um, I think, you know, there, there are other clubs that kind of get their business knocked out early. Uh, I think most fans would kind of prefer that. I think Antonio Conte would prefer that so that he has the full, uh, you know, whatever preseason to, to get his players, uh, up to speed and up to fitness because um, now I think you know even Danny Drinkwater coming off a bit of an injury uh, if if that's true I mean a lot of players get quote unquote injured before they transfer clubs so they don't get hurt actually before um, you know Bakayoko is coming off of a serious injury you know Eden Hazard still getting back up to full fitness even though he wasn't a transfer but I mean some of these things are, are frustrating and I don't feel uh, I don't feel like I'm doing the club a disservice by by being frustrated, Jake. But I would love to hear your opinion. Um, yeah, I think it goes back to you know what we were talking about earlier. You know, every deal is different. Um, you know, and sometimes Chelsea can sign players or 
can agree to deals with players in May and June to officially process on the 1st of July, first day transfer window opens like they did a few years ago with Seth Fabregas and Diego Costa. Those deals worked out great. Sometimes, uh, you know, it takes a minute. And, you know, you sign guys like Marcus Alonso and David Luiz. Those deals worked out great, too. I think as long as the players are in the squad um, for the long haul, you know, that's really all that matters. You know, of course, um, you know, given the choice, you'd much rather have um, deal signed earlier, which will um, allow them to enjoy the full preseason and, you know, get better in with both the squad and the manager. Um, but, you know, but sometimes these deals take time. Sometimes you need dominoes to fall. Um, with other clubs, um, it's not just uh, an A to B negotiation. As we're talking about, there's multiple parties involved. Yeah, you know, when a club like Chelsea is trying to sign one of another club's superstar players or even their best player, that would-be selling club needs to have a replacement lined up. Uh, sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. And then it's a domino effect. So if Chelsea were to sign Rodri Van Dyke from Southampton, for example, Southampton would then need to go to um, a team in France or the Netherlands to sign, you know, one of the top center backs uh, to bring in for Southampton because Southampton is an ambitious club. Then on the on the same side, whoever um, they bought their replacement center back from, whether it be Ajax, Feyenoord, uh, really uh, Lyon like those are all ambitious clubs too with European aspirations they need a replacement so there's a number of dominoes that need to fall um, especially when we're talking about these superstar deals and I agree with that I mean it's, it's certainly we know that you know the Neymar deals and the, and the Mbappe deals and things like that are not easy to complete like I, I'm not saying that it is and, and I think it would be that would be doing a disservice to just think that, you know, you can just walk into anybody's boardroom and demand their best player and they'll just be like, oh, sure, <laughs> no problem. Um, but I think, you know, a, a point of frustration for me is that, you know, and, and it's been this way since the summer is, you know, Chelsea and I think Antonio Conte in particular did made the best dish that he could last year with the ingredients that he had in his team. And uh, I think had been working with the club uh, aggressively since January to, to, you know, identify targets, whoever those targets were. I'm not even going to get into the names, but to, to make the squad better. Um, and I think that you could make a serious argument um, that the squad is, is maybe, you know, a couple percentage points better uh, than last year, um, but not, you know, I guess my expectation going into the summer would be that, okay, we just won the league with a, a squad, you know, kind of put together, you know, and, and changed throughout the season. But now we have the chance to go, uh, you know, buy superstar talent and really make a push for Europe. Because right now, if, it, you know, and I think the Chelsea fan cast said this again in their first show of the season, if the expectation is to go win the treble or at least be very, very competitive in those three major competitions, I don't feel like the squad, Brandon, is. Uh, as deep as it needs to be when you look at some of the the top tier clubs in Europe to compete against those clubs. So that that's where my major issue is right now. And that's just, again, one guy's analysis on a podcast. So take it for what it's worth. But that's where I get a little bit frustrated. I would say that our starting 11 is stronger than last season for sure. Um, uh, I think that... 
maybe our depth isn't as strong. I think that it it's good. Like in the long run, I'm happy Chalaba is at Watford because he's getting minutes. I think the stat is he's already played more minutes for Watford than he like has at Chelsea and Napoli combined. Same thing with Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Dude's going to get minutes. Um, but it just sucks that they had to leave to get minutes and stuff. So I'm still like stuck in the middle on that stuff when it comes to, like depth because, you know, if you are fourth choice midfielder or, you know, third choice center back you maybe aren't gonna play that often and i think that's where that's where kind of like the issue comes like do they go buy maybe a fringe player from another team to just insert and use for training or do they you know continue to hold on to youth who end up not getting a chance so i don't know i guess i'm kind of split on the two sides with that but talking about depth um you know, I think that at the end, we'll, we'll kind of have to see. Kind of surprising that, you know, we have as many center backs as we do. I think that that probably surprised us as of, of last season. Um, you know, obviously we had to panic by a midfielder. Uh, oh, I take that back. We ended up getting a midfielder, but it came at the very, very end of the window. Um, and it's kind of interesting with our strikers. Now, Jake, I, I don't know if you want or can comment on this, but the whole Diego Costa thing, I know he's registered to the Premier League roster to fulfill his contract uh, from a legal standpoint, but it's kind of interesting because I don't know if he's actually ever going to come back to Cobham. Um, yeah, I mean, it is an interesting situation. And um, yeah, yeah, as a fan, um, I'll look forward to seeing how that plays out. But uh, going back to what Nick was saying, um, you know, the frustration involved in, you know, not being able to land, you know, those superstar players, um, you know, that's definitely a reasonable frustration, you know like one that I would share, but I think it's important to note um, who is that frustration directed at? Um, is it just, you know, being frustrated at the realities of the business of football? If so, completely reasonable. If it's directed at Chelsea, I would say that's not reasonable um, for the simple fact that um, Chelsea is very, very aggressive um, as they always are in trying to land these superstar players. But oftentimes, you just can't buy what's not for sale. As we saw last summer with uh, Kyle Duke, Bali, um at Napoli, Chelsea offered the Napoli owner directly, Aurelio Di Laurentiis, 55 million pounds. I think it was around 55 million pounds um, for their star center back, and Napoli refused. And if you've already offered 55 million pounds or 55 million euro, um, it's like, there's not much more you can do. Um, Chelsea offered Juventus a fee this summer after signing Alvaro Morata, breaking their own club transfer record. They offered Juventus a fee that would have made Alexander the world's most expensive defender ever. And Juventus rejected it. And keep in mind, their world record for a defender was already broken this summer by Manchester City with the Kyle Walker deal. So we're talking serious, unprecedented sums that Chelsea was offering Juventus. And if Juventus is going to reject it, like, you've done all you can. Like, you've offered to make this player... You've offered Juventus a fee that no club in the history of football has ever received for a defender. And... They've done their job. If Juventus is going to reject that offer, there's nothing Chelsea can do about it. That's a decision Juventus makes internally and something, you know, we all have to live with. But um, Chelsea was so, okay, very, but very can I can I, jump, can I jump in on sure, that? Yeah, because I, I totally agree with you. What you said is totally fair. Now, what do you do after that, you know, after they don't agree? Uh, you probably go find another left wing back target. We didn't do that in this window. Um, and I think that the option of playing Dave on the left 
is not legitimate competition for Mark Alonzo to make him better. You know, I think what we saw last last January is bringing Nathan Ake back, even though Ake was considered a center back. It pushed Alonzo to reach new levels, which I think we all want to see. Uh, we didn't even go out and get a backup, a real qualified backup for that role. So I think that to me, I can direct some frustration at the club because there has to be, even if it's not the world record signing on, on, you know, with Alexandro, there has to be someone else qualified in that position to make that, you know, to kind of lock up that role. Like that doesn't seem unreasonable to me to, to point to the club and say, okay, great. You, you went for it and you didn't get it. We, we can all applaud that. But what's next, right? Like, you don't ever walk into a business meeting and not have a plan B, right? Like, so I, I don't know. That's that's where I would just, I would fight you a little bit on that. Yeah, no, like, I don't think, like, what you're saying um, is antithetical to the point that I was making. Um, you know, I, I just don't know enough about what Antonio Conte wants to do or, um, you know, David Zappacosta. Um, you know, can he play on both sides? That's not, I, I don't know. I've never seen him play before. I do know that um, I think only Alexandro in the past uh, few seasons has completed more crosses um, than Zappacosta. I think it was one more. So does that one stat in isolation mean that their skill sets line up? I don't know. But I think, you know, we'll probably find out over the next few weeks as, you know, it'll, I'm sure we'll be playing some minutes. Um, can Kennedy um, continue uh, his progression from a strictly offensive-minded player to a more defending player? Don't know that either, um, but it'll be interesting to see. And um, yeah, I, like looking at the squad myself again, just matter of opinion, one man's opinion. I'm not too worried um, about uh, the defending core as a whole. I guess you know your point with um, you know Kennedy. I he's gonna get a chance. It's, I think it's a big sink or swim season for him, which is kind of weird because he was on the verge of going to Newcastle, then he ended up staying, and he went from essentially a fringe player to second string left wing back. And uh, Nick, I don't think he's going to challenge for it, but we know how much running Alonzo and Moses did last season. Just inevitably, he's going to have to slot in. Uh, but bring but bring it... Okay, I don't know. Let's go ahead and bring it back to Diego Costa a little bit because there was some pretty funny banter on social media that I just... I don't want to miss out on real quick. So, you know, kicking it off with Courtois making uh, a bit of a joke on Twitter, Nick. So, I mean, this is coming off of Diego Costa being named to the Premier League squad. Couldn't figure out a deal with Atletico Madrid. Uh, so that's, you know, a bummer because I feel like that would be kind of the best for both parties of this scenario or this time to, you know, to just part ways. There's been a lot of barbs fired back and forth over the press and. You know, it's just not been a really uh, good situation. So, uh, you know, as the window closed in Spain on Friday, um, uh, Thibaut Courtois tweeted a picture of him and Diego Costa holding the Premier League trophy and in Spanish saying he stays, <laughs> which is, I think, uh, a, a cue back to the Neymar transfer with... Uh, God, who's, yeah, with Jared PK, um, you know, saying that he, he's going to stay the entire summer. And then he, he obviously left. And then David Luiz Brandon fired back with another gem, right? Yeah. And this time on Instagram, you know, making sure they cover their platforms well. He uh, he actually tweeted a picture of Drogba, who is back at Cobham doing some injury um, rehab as well. And he took a picture of Drogba and says, say Keda as well with Drogba. So uh, obviously the players are having some fun with it as well. 
Yeah, and this this is a uh, situation that's obviously not ideal uh, for for the club or for Diego Casa, Jake. I mean, this is you know a, you know it's been kind of a long drawn out thing. You know, I think the clubs had their say. I think Antonio Conte's laughed enough for a lifetime on this. I think you know Diego Costa has said enough. Um, worn an Atletico Madrid shirt this summer at a party. Uh, there's there's no sense of of any sort of reclamation or, or reconciliation here, right? Um, yeah, I think all I can say on that is, you know, I hope, um, you know, things resolve themselves um, amicably for both parties one way or another. Um, I'm sure Chelsea will be fine with or without Costa. I'm sure Diego Costa will be fine with or without Chelsea. Um, you know, speaking <laughs> as a fan, um you know, Diego Costa has been an extremely prolific striker, not just for the club um, or speaking um, solely about the club, but uh, Premier League wide. Um, he's you know, been one of the best strikers, if not the best um, in the Premier League since joining. Um, you know, he's been a fantastic player. And if this is the end, um, you know, he helped Chelsea win a lot of games. He scored a lot of goals. Um, but, you know, if it's time for him to go, it's time for him to go. And I'm sure Chelsea um, will continue uh, to win trophies with them as they did with him. Awesome. All right. Well, let's go ahead and pivot a little bit uh, over to your side, Jake. There's been some talks, moves, some questions. I know Chelsea are going to redevelop, just smash it and rebuild it into an absolute fortress. And so some people have some questions about maybe Chelsea, Roman Abramovich are changing the way they kind of run the club as a business. They're uh, maybe more focused on sponsorships and commercial deals rather than just writing checks and then writing off loans. Um, I know that we had a little bit of chat about this before, and you seem to be pretty strong that nothing's changed. Chelsea are 100 percent going after success every year. We're talking about a uh, you know summer transfer window where Chelsea broke their transfer record to sign Alvaro Morata, and again even after signing him, offered Juventus a fee for Alexander that would have made him the most expensive defender in the world. They also brought in a world class midfielder. They brought in Germany's starting center back and some solid depth with uh, Zappa Costa and Drinkwater. Uh, this follows the summer in which Chelsea signed arguably the world's best midfielder and uh, two defenders um, you know, that were two of the best defenders in the league last season, Alonzo and David Luiz, played a huge part in seeing Chelsea win the title. They also signed Missy Batshuayi. Um, you know, I understand like in the fan base... Um, there's some mixed feelings, but um, you know he projected out as one of the best juggers in Europe, uh, and I have no doubt that he'll realize that potential, um, if not at Chelsea, certainly somewhere else. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just don't see any logical um, positions someone could take to justify um, that Chelsea's business model has changed from anything other than what it's always been since Mr. Bromwich bought the club, which is to win trophies and to spend as much as possible, literally every penny and pound possible, um, to further that pursuit. Um, there's no evidence to back it up. Um, and no, I, I don't think uh, the business model has changed at all. I mean, if you want to just look at the numbers just so we can um, you know, make this as clear as can be, Chelsea's weights to turnover ratio over the past two years has been just under 70%. And so, um, in actual people, rather than just accounting uh, people terms, uh, what that means is that Chelsea spends 68, 69% of their entire turnover on wages. So, um, to focus just on transfer fees or something like net spend, which is um, 
it's 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 not a number anyone in football um, concern themselves with. They spend for every pound they earn, they spend sixty eight or sixty nine pence of that on wages. So they spend huge and huge amounts of money on player wages, um, and that seventy percent ratio is higher than all of the big clubs in the Premier League. And speaking uh, in just raw numbers, so forget about the ratio, which uh, is skewed based on how much you earn. So in two thousand and thirteen fourteen financial years, Chelsea had the third highest wage bill in the Premier League behind the two Manchester clubs. In 2015, uh, the highest wage bill in the league. And in 2016, this most recent financial year, it had the second highest wage bill. And it was around 10 million less, 10 million pounds less than Manchester United. So Chelsea spends really the most, if not like the second most um, on wages. So to say that Chelsea is not spending as much, um, yeah, it's, if you just look at the numbers, like that just simply doesn't hold up. And in terms of transfers, they've been very, very aggressive um, in pursuing, you know, the best possible players. You know, they've been fortunate to land, uh, you know, a good number of them. So, um, yeah, to say that, like, you know, money is being diverted from um, the player budget to the stadium budget, while that would not be super unreasonable. That's just not the way Chelsea has worked since Mr. Obama has bought the club and there's no evidence um, to the contrary whatsoever. So, Jake, I have a question then just as a quick follow-up because we know the, st- you know, the stadium redevelopment is coming. Um, how, how do you see that working within kind of Chelsea's financial structure? Because, I mean, obviously 500... Um, 500 million pounds is not easy to to come by right i mean that's just kind of a large figure and i think has to be taken into account when you look at kind of the club's dealings as you know kind of you project out in the next few years do you think that there will be any change in strategy when that number kind of has to be realized strategy in terms of what exactly strategy in terms of um, buying, buying players, being competitive, no, no, competing for trophies, n- none whatsoever. Um, I, I do not think the stadium has any bearing on um, the how Chelsea will um, continue to pursue signing the best possible players to give them the best possible chances at winning trophies. And in fact, the stadium, one of the main goals there, is to drive revenue. So with twenty thousand new seats, um, yeah, that drives ticket sales. There'll be. Um, increased uh, sort of a corporate hospitality areas, which I know from a fan's perspective makes feeling that best about that. But the fact is that it drives revenue and it keeps ticket prices down um, for you know the regular match going fan. Um, you know, there's uh, lots of commercial opportunities beyond just ticket sales tied to um, you know a brand new stadium in West London and. Um, I'm very, very confident that every single penny of that, like it always has since Mr. Brown is part of the club, won't go into reinvesting in the squad. Um, and again, no evidence whatsoever to the contrary that anybody can point to. By the way, uh, we got to meet up with Jake in West London this past spring when we went over there. Beautiful place. It, it You know, you never really know what the neighborhoods are like until you actually go visit. Uh, It's a really cool area. And then I go to your Instagram story today, today, Jake, and you're just running around Stanford Bridge just for a workout. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, I've been living in London um, permanently, very, very recent development. I've been living up in Manchester um, for the past around two years. Um, And so now that I'm here, like I live like kind of in the area um, and the novelty 
of being in like walking or running distance from Stanford Bridge like has not worn off. Um, do not think it will wear off anytime soon. In fact, in my run today, I like specifically I was like, all right, like I need to see like a little bit more of like, uh, you know, like Kensington. So I headed in like the exact opposite direction and, you know, just like a homing pigeon, you know, I just, um, you know, took that, uh, you know, that basically just did a 180, went a little bit south, ended up at Stanford Bridge, ran a bunch of laps around then and just uh, ran home. Like in terms of like, you know, motivation, you know, when you run those laps around the stadium, you know, you see like all of, um, you know, the Chelsea legends um, on that shed wall and then on the back, um, I guess, which would be like the East Stand. Um, you see like all those like, and in fact, like I think they're pretty brand new. You see, um, uh, just like these gigantic uh, photos of all the players um, with the Premier League trophy this season. So, I mean, like, if, like, you know, you're sucking wind and you're like, ah, like, I don't know if I want to finish up this one. Like, all you have to do is just, like, look around and, like, the motivation uh, is pretty easy to find. So, yeah, it's, it's a nice little running spot. And then, like, of course, like, you know, there's always fans from all over the world every single day at the stadium. So it's, like, really, really cool to see, um, you know, and even meet, um, you know, Chelsea fans from all over the world. They they are there every single day visiting the stadium and taking tours. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a novelty, but uh, it's not worn off, and I don't think it will um, in the near future. I can completely understand why you'd say that. So uh, awesome. Super pumped for you. Obviously, you're back in London where you belong. Um, let's go ahead and wrap up with rating this transfer window, though. We did throw this poll out on Twitter. Uh, a little bit surprising to me, Nick, based on the tweets we've been seeing versus what actually happened. So how did the votes come in? Yeah, so I, I split it up between, uh, you know, on a scale of 10, 9 to 10, 7 to 8, 5 to 6, and then 5 and below. So uh, 56% uh, were a 7 and above, and the remainder were uh, a 6 and below. So, I mean, I, you know, a more positive uh, split than I think, you know, some of the, the Twitter trolls would you know, have you believe. Um, and I think the general fan base is just kind of excited to see what can happen this year. Um, I still, you know, personally don't think we're, you know, at a competitive level with like a Real Madrid, but you know, we'll, we'll have to go to the champions league and figure that out. All right. Um, you know, Jake, I know you're a huge, huge stats guy and tactics guy. What did you rate the transfer window? <laughs> Uh, I'm definitely a stats guy and not a tactics guy at all. Um, did not have coaching badges, um, never played to a high level. So like, I'll definitely leave tactics uh, to you guys and guys like Joe Tweeds. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I mean, in terms of the window. Um, As a fan, you happy? Yeah, 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 of course. Uh, you know, Murata's looks fantastic. Uh, you know, Bakayoko really, really seems like he's going to be, um, you know, really, really positive influence um, in the Chelsea midfield. And just the thought of uh, him and N'Golo Kante uh, basically controlling the pitch um, all season, I mean, it's just going to be super exciting to watch. Um, do not know too much about Zappacosta, was not watching the end drink water at all last season. Um, but, you know, they have solid pedigrees. You know, I'm sure they'll be good contributors. Uh, Rudiger, Chelsea actually uh, had a deal lined up for him last summer. Um, and just the way the timing worked, uh, the deal was agreed to in principle. Uh, Rudiger ended up uh, having like a really devastating knee injury that's been able to. I mean, he must have worked so, so, so hard to bounce back from that um, and regain his form and maybe even improve on where he was last season. Um, but yeah, you know, he's been a target of Chelsea for a while. Um, you know, they finally got him. And um, 
like in the games that I've seen, like I know there's there's mixed feelings about what he's been able to do so far, but like I think he's looked good. Um, he's big, he's strong, he's amazing on the ball too. Which um, you know, those are skill sets you know that you just don't really see. I think like maybe like John Stones, um, maybe the comparison, like maybe not so flattering depending on like how you think about John Stones, but um. It's uh yeah I mean he's, he's he's an exciting player and we're looking forward to um you know seeing where he does this season and beyond. Awesome. Well, I think we'll go ahead and uh, wrap up this part of you know final thoughts. Nick, I guess uh, anything else you want to touch on, kind of specific to the transfer window or, or business dealings. Um. You know, I. I mean, we got we got a sleeve sponsor, man. It's big news. Yeah, we didn't even touch on yeah. it. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's, at least it's not Tinder. Um, so there, we have that. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm glad it's over. <laughs> I'm glad the window's over. I, I, I the, the more you kind of dive into this and this our our third year doing the podcast now, like it's just it drags on forever. It's just daily nothings, you know, as far as rumors go. And uh, it's yeah, it's kind of a, a drain on everybody's resources. So. Yeah, happy happy to have it over. Happy to move on to the actual year and see how how we can play. Jake, what about you? I mean, is the club happy that this is over so they can just focus on training and the players that they have? Um, I mean, you'd ask that you'd have to ask the club that, but um, yeah, I mean, like as a fan, um, you know, we have seven games in the next three weeks coming up. Uh, I'm gonna try to make all of them. So, I mean, it's it's a great time. Um, you know to be a fan of football and especially a Chelsea fan um, you know come up in the next three weeks so yeah it should be exciting times and uh, yeah you know this September and October you know these schedules is just brutal and I think um, you know the results um, that bear out um, will go a long way to saying um, or to resolving this question as to whether or not Chelsea has enough depth um, you know Hopefully it proves that it does, but you know maybe it won't, and you know, but we'll we'll definitely find out soon enough. All right, well, let's go ahead and take our second break real quick, and we get back. Uh, we've got a bunch of questions from social media coming at you. Here we go. Hey guys, just a really quick break. Uh, again, we would encourage you to follow World Soccer Shop on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Uh, we're, we've been working with them to do some cross-promotional content, which will be cool. Uh, and then obviously follow them for what we anticipate will be a, uh, a kit release this week as well. So uh, if you want to get you know kind of first eyes on that third kick, uh, follow them at World Soccer Shop. And, uh, and yeah, thanks. All right, let's go ahead and jump into some questions. Um, we got a really interesting one from Eric on email. I just want to kind of read this out quick and throw it out to you guys uh, and see what you said. So uh, long story short from Eric, he was saying that why don't clubs kind of hold grudges more often? You know, obviously specifically talking about Chelsea. He was saying that, you know, we loaned Abraham, Tammy Abraham, to Swansea, but then Swansea sold Llorente to Tottenham. And then he also talked about Quadrado. We loaned him to Juventus for two years, then sold him to Juventus for what I thought was a pretty, you know, reasonable fee. And then we didn't even get a chance at Bonucci or Sandro. And then Everton, we loaned them Lukaku. He sold them to United. We gave them Atsu, all these things, and they just never kind of reciprocate. I guess, Jake, is is that a thing in, in transfers or is it just business, just cold-blooded business? 
Yeah, I mean, I think each deal or each transaction needs to be taken in isolation. Of course, certain clubs have, um, you know, really strong relationships. Uh, you know, Chelsea, I think, I'd like to go to Madrid. Um, and Vitesse are probably good examples of clubs that, uh, you know, Chelsea works with. Um, even Hull City, very, very recent development, but, uh, you know, certainly them as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, I think, yeah, each transaction um, – needs to be looked at of its own volition. For example, Chelsea and Arsenal rivals, um, but we just uh, saw Chelsea sell uh, best of a goalkeeper um, in club history to Arsenal. Um, and, you know, that was clearly a deal that, you know, um, seemed like it was going to work out for all parties. So I think, yeah, I mean, you just need to put that aside and just uh, determine, you know, is this going to be the best move for my club going forward? And if the answer is yes, then you probably make the deal regardless of any um, past history together. Um, Nick coming from at Jamie CFC 99 says we have a pretty tough stretch of games coming in how do you think we will do overall let's just stick it to September as we have this big run of matches new players coming in think everyone's going to assimilate and we're going to be able to get through it all right yeah I mean look it's it's definitely going to be a challenging month I mean you look at uh, where we were currently at here Uh, we have Leicester City uh, away Uh, we have Carabag Champions League home Arsenal home uh, five days later Uh, Nottingham Forest in the Carabao Cup Uh, Stoke City away you know cold cold rainy day in Stoke and then uh, at Atletico Madrid after that Uh, and then Manchester City to round out the month I mean that is a that is a stacked September. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, we're going to have to ball out. Uh, we have essentially three of our toughest matches, you know, Arsenal, Atletico Madrid away and City um, to, to play this month. And I think there's a lot on the line. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be difficult for sure. I, you know, luckily, Arsenal are not playing their best football right now, but they always seem to um, to play their best when we're when we're around, and we'll see kind of how how that goes. But um, yeah, I think the club, you know, especially with these new signings, they need to get uh, get game time as quickly as possible to be able to uh, to step up to that uh, really really hard slate. All right, Jake, this one's for you. I'm going to walk on eggshells though because you know <laughs> I like to consider us friends. But the question was asked from at Mr. Chelsea Boss. Uh, what are three reasons why Chelsea have the, in quotation marks, best executives in football, end quote? I believe this is in reference to kind of essentially what you've always said, but um, this is a good chance. Like, tell us, like, you know, what's up? Um, yeah, you know, that's an opinion that I've held, you know, that Chelsea, you know, has the best, um, you know, group of people working at the club. Um, you know, it's a opinion I've held for years um, and I do not see that opinion changing anytime soon. Um, yes, for three reasons. Um, yeah, I'd say one, you know, the dozen. All right. So I think what, like 14 titles um, since 2004, 2005. So that's five Premier League titles, four FA Cups, three League Cups, Europa League, and the Champions League still winning the Champions League, something no other London club has done before or since. Um, so I think the trophy cabinet kind of speaks for itself. Um, but if uh, you, know, you need more reasons, um, you know, the past six seasons in Europe, you know, even though we missed out on the entire competition, um, this 
past season. Um, you know, they won both competitions, reached the semifinals, and then lost to PSG twice and then knocked around twice in the past six years. Obviously, no champions league last season, but even with that one-year absence, that record stacks up very favorably to any Premier League club and probably puts them in the top five or six clubs overall um, when you include the likes of Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, Juventus, Bayern Munich, PSG. Chelsea definitely sits within that group. Obviously, um, some of those clubs have definitely separated themselves in the pack, especially Real Madrid. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, j- just include that and, you know, they're winners, um, just plain and simple. Uh, second reason, um, you know, they're, Chelsea as a club is very innovative. Um, one example is the Loan Army, which is really the ultimate high reward, low risk investment. Uh, it's a phrase I've used for years to describe the Loan Army. Um, it really is a unique and clever way of acquiring as much young talent as possible then having that young talent not only pay for itself but then fund um senior superstar level acquisitions in the sense that it provides more revenues when you eventually loan or sell these players um if you know they don't end up in the first team for whatever reason if they do end up in the first team it's a very cost-effective starter um so yeah, you know the loan army is great. Like other clubs, uh, probably Chelsea have uh, you know loaned dozens of players uh, to other teams before. But I think Chelsea really has cracked the code and um, how to make sure it all works together, um, not just off the pitch but on the pitch as well. Um, they have a dedicated loan staff. Um, each player, each player on loan has this customized app right on, on their mobile app, and hours after um, each player has their games played, they have this. Um, basically like entire analysis basically downloads onto the app so they can look um, at like all these like cool graphics and like the coaches will have like these little notes like what they did well and what they should be working on uh, the following week in training. This is every week. Eddie Newton will basically travel all across Europe, um, you know, and see each of these players um, individually once a month at Vitesse because Chelsea has so many players there. Um, Eddie Newton will actually travel to Vitesse, spend a week at the training facility at Papendal and work directly with the loan players on uh, you know, some of the tactics um, that the club wants them to implement. Um, so really innovative um, and you know pretty groundbreaking, if I do say so myself. Uh, third, I think the club is laser-focused on ensuring the success for the future. So obviously this um, group of staff and executives will eventually leave the club. Um, you know, unless uh, Roman Vamovich figures out a way um, to crack the immortality code, he's probably not going to live forever. So eventually, um, you know, the club will transfer hands, but if and when it does, um, you know, Chelsea will be really well positioned for the future. You know, uh, we'll have a brand new stadium in a few years, which really should be a gem, uh, not just in football, but, you know, in the city of London, I really do think it's going to be a great tourist attraction. And, um, you know, just it, it'll be incredible. Um, the club's global presence um, is fantastic. And what that means is not only every day you're capturing new fans, but you're capturing new commercial opportunities. And why should a fan care about commercial opportunities? Well, as Chelsea has proven over the last dozen plus years, every single penny the club earns goes back into building the squad. So um, new commercial opportunities, commercial revenue has increased massively. I think since 2009, it's increased something like 250%. Um, it's only continuing to increase. Um, so yeah, Chelsea's in a great position for the future. Uh, world-class training facilities are cobbled. So, you know, if and when, you know, this current group of people running the club leave, um, the they'll be handing over a club that, um, you yeah, know, is one of the best in the world. Well, 
That is an exhaustive list, and I appreciate that. That's uh, that's some cool stuff to know. Um, next one says from Instagram, Nick Carlos Juan RF says, uh, "I think somebody has to figure out why are players avoiding joining this club? Is it too much training? Coach not a manager? Coach not making a phone call?" club being cheap what is going on and obviously this would be specifically talking about ox the fee was agreed barkley was doing a medical and walked out and the loose one is the urente which jake i'll let you talk about that after nick yeah i i I don't really know i think it's it's very much down to the to the individual player and the opportunity and i think the you know, the ox thing in particular just struck me as, as super weird because, you know, it, it seems a little asinine to, uh, you know, go through the entire process and then come out and say you don't want to play wing back, which is where you've been played at Arsenal for the last year uh, and I think has like reinvigorated his career. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think the ox thing is really weird. And I, I think the Barkley thing uh, is probably more due to injury than than what we would be led on to believe. Apparently, his his knee is still not good enough to um, to test out in a, a full medical. So, you know, I don't know. I think you know. You look at even like an Alexandro, and you know, I guess you're you're basically hoping that he makes a big fuss all of Virgil Van Dyke and and really wants to come to Chelsea, but he doesn't really have a reason to either. You know, you you always kind of look for the rationale behind some of these decisions from players. And, uh, you know, I would say that, you know, you look at some of the players that we missed out on that were, you know, kind of reported widespread in the press by multiple outlets. And, you know, it's, it's a bummer because you you feel like those players would have really helped the, the team, but I can't really be sure why, you know, outside of the ox thing, which is apparently a positional thing, why a player wouldn't want to join Chelsea, uh, you know, especially in the Premier League. If you're going to go to any Premier League club, you know, we've been as successful as Manchester United. And after that, there's a severe drop off from those two clubs down. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a strange one for sure. But, you know, I'll, I'll let Jake talk, uh, touch on the Urente thing. Sure. You know, I mean, I, I couldn't speak to um, his contractual terms at Tottenham, but yeah, I mean, it seemed like there was a lot of news about him. Um, I've never heard Antonio Conte or anyone at Chelsea ever say Fernando Llorente's name. Um, and I think a lot of that um, goes back to, um, yeah, you know, a lot of players are linked to a lot of different clubs um, in football. You know, if you typed in Fernando Llorente um, or Alexandre or Neymar or, um, you know, Nabi Keita, I'm sure they would have been linked to 40 clubs, um, you know, each uh, this season. And the fact is that um, clubs, as we talked about this recently, um, very rarely chip their hands. And when they do talk to journalists, um, they have a motive for doing so. It means they want that news out there. And the same goes for agents. So if an agent is trying to gain leverage in a, you know, maybe ongoing contracting negotiation, like the agent may see fit to, um, you know, text, um, you know, a journalist or several journalists and say, you know, listen, this player is linked to clubs A, B, and C as he's negotiating personal terms with club D um, to sort of uh, create um, this 
market um, for the player during these negotiations. So, I mean, a journalist can only report what he's told, but what he's being told is most often being told because of, um, uh, for a very specific reason, to advance the cause of the person telling the journalist this information. So when you hear, um, you know, uh, who like, Chelsea's going to sign Neymar, like, you have to take that with a grain of salt. Chelsea's going to sign anybody you need to take with a grain of salt um, because uh, transfer rumors are just that. They're rumors. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, that's really all I can say. Um, like, it's tough as a fan because when you hear Chelsea's linked to players like A, B, and C, like, you can, it's only natural and it'd be weird almost not to just sort of like envision, oh, like, imagine this lineup that we have already, which is fantastic, and then add like players A, B, and C, like, we're just gonna, you know, win the Champions League, win the league, win the FA Cup, win the League Cup, we're just gonna win it all. Um, like, that's a, like it's impossible not to sort of like have that mindset, but you know the reality is, um, you know, you just have to take uh, what you hear um, in the press, especially revolving around transfer rumors, um, with a huge grain of salt. Um, it's definitely not um, gospel by any means. No, 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 that makes sense. So uh, I, again, we had so many questions from social media, we just didn't have time this week. But we appreciate it. Keep them coming. We will get them on. Let's just go ahead and roll right on to our last part. Uh, We have a real quick message. You're going to love this if you're interested in going to London. Here we go. Hey, guys. Just a quick note that we had a a very productive call with XL Tours this week, kind of identifying a couple of uh, travel opportunities uh, to go to to uh, multiple matches uh, this year. So uh, th- just stay in tune with what we're doing there. Social media will be where we kind of post anything that is uh, potentially going to happen. But right now we're looking at uh, possibly one trip in December, early December, uh, before the holidays, and one trip uh, later in the season, the spring. So. Um, as soon as we have more information, we will post it and make sure everyone's aware. Tell your friends if they're kind of looking at possibly going to, to London that this is another opportunity to go. And uh, and yeah, thanks. All right, part three, we're going to touch on the youth and low knees just kind of as it stands. Uh, I think some of the big ones that stand out, gentlemen, for me, um, it's, from the beginning of the season is Tammy Abraham and Ruben Loftus-Cheek. And then I give a special mention to Kurt Zuma. Um, I guess, Nick, what I specifically like about these three is that they are all Premier League loans. Yeah, uh, and I think Tammy, Tammy's kind of the one I'm keeping my eye on the most because I feel like he he still has a really good chance to make it at Chelsea. Um, he's He's got off to a really fast start with Swansea, and even though Swansea just brought in Wilford Boney again back to the club, uh, I think there's a possibility for them to, to pair up top um, and for, for Tammy to get a, a lot more experience. So uh, that's going to be great for him. You know, you're, you're always happy to see Kurt Zuma do well. You know, he's, he's such a, a great guy around the club and always seems to be very positive and you know Brandon Rubin Rubin's what you know I think the player a lot of fans are looking to is kind of the next uh homegrown player to break through at Chelsea very much could be obviously a lot of weight writing on um any of kind of like the academy players that have been there since you know 10 and unders essentially um Jake you talked about the whole city connection you've got Michael Hector and Ola Aina there 
Uh, it seems like maybe this season more than last, there's a lot more players staying in England, even if it's Championship League One kind of divisions. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a good point. You know, I think, um, you know, it goes back to, you know, Chelsea just having strong relationships with certain clubs, obviously in Europe, Vitesse, um, and then very recently, Hull City, um, which uh, emanates from the club uh, hiring uh, Leonid Slutsky um, as their manager, um, who just has strong ties to uh, Mr. Abramovich, um, as well as a number of other people at the club. So clearly, um, you know, there's a pre-existing relationship there. They trust them, and, you know, they feel that, um, you know, Hull City uh, under... Uh, you know, such as guidance that um, the Chelsea Lonies will be well looked after. Um, they'll get good training and, you know, they'll have an opportunity um, to get some serious minutes on the pitch. And, you know, if the ultimate goal is to turn these players into Chelsea players, that means, um, you know, they can be playing uh, football in England. So uh, the more football in England you play, again, I'm not a tactics guy, but, you know, it kind of just makes sense to me that, uh, you know, the more English football you play, the better suited you will be to play English football um, for Chelsea in the Premier League. Nick, I mean, I guess overall, I, closer to home, maybe that helps as well. They don't have to go learn a different language, a different country, live in a different culture. Um, again, I don't know if this is a shift in strategy, just something that it looks like there seem to be more people concentrated in England, which, like Jake says, on surface level, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, I think, you know, Jeremy Boga, even going to Birmingham, uh, Lewis Baker going to Middlesbrough. I mean, you have some of these that are um, are good looking loans. And, you know, not all of these players have a real chance at Chelsea, but we're kind of highlighting the ones that we think might. Um, and, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, you would have liked to see, you know, maybe Ruben stay this year, given kind of how the window shaped out. But. Uh, you know, I think he's going to have a ton of opportunity at Crystal Palace. And, you know, you, you're hoping that all of these players get, you know, starter or, or just right under starter level minutes so that they can actually improve and, and come back to the club stronger. All right. Well, before we wrap this one up, let's go ahead and kind of finish this episode out with talking about our second team since between the transfers and the loan army and the youth. And that's kind of all wrapped up into this so we did get a tweet from at uh, number nine cfc and just said this is what they thought chelsea's quote second choice team would be and i think by second choice team essentially you know non-starters or um you know even a little bit of depth at center back i'm a little surprised with so in goal you have caballero which i think is unquestionable uh they even threw in for center backs christensen uh, Clark Salter and then Cahill. We'll leave that that to be determined by opinion later. Uh, right wing back Moses, uh, which I guess they're assuming that Zapacosta is in front of them. Um, Bakioko Drinkwater in the middle. I guess Bakioko will just play all minutes. And then Kennedy left wing back. Jake touched on that earlier. And then the attacking three up top are Musonda, William, and Batshuayi. Nick, anything pop out to you besides Cahill? That's the obvious one, I think. I, I actually agree with their with the back line um, as it stands right now. I mean, who, who knows what will happen when Kale's off of suspension finally. But I think Moses, like for, the, for those already writing Moses off because we signed a player to compete with him, I think you're crazy. I think it's going to push him uh, to a new level. So I would actually have Zappa Costa in that position. Uh, I think Bakayoko is going to be a starter when he is finally fit. So I would put Sesk and Drinkwater in there, which is kind of a light midfield. 
Um, and then I think Willian right now is playing better than Pedro. And so I'd probably have Pedro um, in the second team right now over over Willian. But, you know, all that stuff can change, you know, just depending on how form looks. But that as of today, those are the, the changes I would make, Jake. Um, yeah, yeah, that that all sounds great to me, guys. Absolutely. Well, I think, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see. You know, we have the squad together now. This is who will take us at least to January before another mini transfer window kicks in. But uh, I'm excited to see the likes of Musanda, uh, Christensen, and, uh, you know, even Kennedy. I just want to see if he can make it or not. And this is going to be those moments that we get to. So if you want, you can go ahead and tweet at us or Instagram us uh, at London Blue Pod what your second choice team that you think will play in the Carabao Cup is uh, now that the transfer window has closed. But with that being said, Chelsea fans, we are going to wrap this one up. And to do that, we will have our final thoughts around as we always do. So, Nick, I have to kick it off with yours because it is amazing. Yeah, so if you didn't see uh, Thibaut Courtois and Sesc Fabregas uh, Twitter back and forth today, go go look at it. I can't really do it justice by speaking to it, but there was uh, a bit of the bants, I think, <laughs> Brandon, as it were. Absolutely. Kicks off with the gif from two years ago of Fabregas slapping Tebow upside the head in the tunnel before a match and Courtois literally until this last week had no idea who had done it to him and they just go back and forth on a little little riffraff uh which is it was quite funny um we have a another one I just want to end this one with uh Squawka has a nice little stat that says Eden Hazard is the only Premier League player to attempt over a thousand take-ons since 2012-2013 Attempted 1,001, completed 606. See you later. That is their tweet, but I am fully in acceptance with that. So, Jake, uh, if you don't have any final thoughts, just let everyone know where they can find you, uh, you know, on social media to check out your awesome uh, Jody Mortis running videos and cute nephews. It's pretty funny, actually. Well, I mean, it's funny to me. It's probably not going to be funny to any other people. Uh, but no, uh, yeah, Jody Morris, former Chelsea player, is doing a great job with the uh, under-18s. He's actually an elite athlete. Um, so it's a pretty big distinction between him and I, where he'll post, um, <laughs> like, he's, he's he's older, but still an elite athlete. Like, I saw him play um, at the game for Grenfell at QPR the other day. And, you know, granted, he was playing against, uh, like, most of these celebrities who aren't footballers, but, I mean, he was clearly the, the best actual football on the pitch um but yeah he'll do these like workouts where it's either by himself or like with the under 18s and granted these under 18s are also elite athletes and you know they're 20 uh, you know something years younger at this point um and you know he'll either like try to keep up or you know he'll just like push himself and it's it's basically being humble but i mean uh, you know, just do yourself a favor and follow him on Twitter and check out Instagram stories. But um, yeah, like he'll just sort of like uh, like just complain about the workout or uh, like you know just like saying he's sucking wind. It's funny, um, and I will do the same. But the difference is that like I'm actually sucking wind because I'm not I'm an elite <laughs> athlete. Um, but no, no, it's just funny, um, you know. And uh, yeah, it's just a good way to. Um, to stay humble, I guess, when you're just showing everybody how you're just like feeling physically um, all over social media. All right. And your handle is? Uh, 
Absolutely. You can always check out our social media profiles as well because we tag Jake and everything around this episode for a preview and when it goes live. So you can also find him there. Uh, Jake, one last huge thank you uh, again. Uh, meeting you in person was even better than the awesome interactions we've had, you know, on social media. Thank you for returning back to the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, guys. You know, always great to talk with you. And yeah, you know, it was great meeting you guys um, last season. I really look forward to um, you know, doing that again this season. Absolutely. We will be back. And so with that being said, Chelsea fans, until the next time, keep the blue flag flying high. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the London is Blue podcast covering everything related to Chelsea FC. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to submit your questions. And if you like this episode, a five-star review in the iTunes store would help other Chelsea fans find us.